Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship and a special welcome to friends, guests, and visitors. I've got some family with me here today, so I'm excited to see my Aunt Jean and Cousin Halen. Welcome to to those who are joining us online or by phone, too. We're very glad that you are here. Just a a few announcements uh, for today. Um, After church downstairs, uh, Leticia Castleberg is going to be giving us a lesson on how to make tamales. Uh, So if you want to learn or if you just want to try tamales, please join us uh, downstairs uh, after church. Uh, Also after church, uh, in the fellowship hall, um, and you can kind of float between these two things if you'd like, um, we're going to be writing some Christmas cards um, to people in our church family who might just appreciate a, a note from Trinity this time of year. Um, and so I have a, a list of people I thought we could write cards to, um, and uh, we, I got some cards from, from Kaya and Jen, who are both out sick this weekend, so, uh, so could use some extra help if you are willing to write some cards with me. That all take place downstairs. I'll review the other uh, things coming up for Christmas, including poinsettias and old Bafana. And uh, review our Christmas worship schedule. And and this time of year, I always like to remind our members that uh, word of mouth invitations are usually the most meaningful way you can be invited to a church. And so if you'd like, you can take your Christmas uh, bulletin today uh, and you can share our Christmas schedule with with someone else in your life. I'd appreciate if you do that. Also going on this week, and uh, I'm happy to share this information with anyone who is interested and I'll post in the Facebook group too, but um, St. Stephen's in Monona um, invited us to take part in their longest night worship. Um, this is a, a service for those who've experienced loss um, or other hardship, um, and the holidays can be a particular, particularly tough time, um, stirring up grief and, and other, other feelings this time of year. So this is meant to be a service for those um, that, those kinds of emotions, those kinds of experiences. So if you are interested in participating in that, that will be on Wednesday, December 21st. So this Wednesday at 6.30 at St. Stephen's. I'll be there and, and uh, uh, anyone else who'd like to come with me is invited. Finally, I wanted to uh, take just a moment to uh, congratulate David and Cindy Seeloff on their 40th wedding anniversary which took place uh, here 40 years ago today, right? So uh, we're very glad to have them with us. Yeah, let's give them a round of applause for 40 years. (laughs) So congratulations on 40 years. Are there any other announcements we should make verbally today? If not, we'll begin our service with our prelude music.
please stand as you are able and face the baptismal font. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be God's name forever. Amen. Beloved, now is the time to wake from sleep. Let us confront our sins and confess them to the one who is merciful and just. God of new beginnings, we confess that we have not welcomed your holy reign. We have strayed from your paths. We prepare for war instead of peace. We dishonor one another and your creation. Purify us with your refining fire and set us again on your way of love, that we may bear fruit worthy of repentance. Welcome your coming among us. People of God, a new thing is growing in our midst, a tender branch, a living sign. By water and the Spirit, you are joined to this wonder. You have put on Christ, and your sins have been washed away. Rejoice in the way of the Lord.
Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. Let us pray. Emmanuel, God with us, you are our a confounding delight. Already the universe bears great signs of your goodness, teeming ocean depths and airy midnight heights, all while stirring within us as well. Now sober, sober us with the essential, scandalous signs of your presence in unexpected silhouettes and stretch wide our arms with courage to receive you in new visions of your kingdom arriving. Keep us, like Joseph, from dismissing too quickly the unconforming and the uncomfortable. For your greatest of gifts comes to us as these, unexpected, open, and vulnerable. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Please join me in prayer as we light our Advent wreath. Let us pray. Praise to you, O God, who lives with us, sharing our flesh and bones. As Mary waited and Joseph dreamed, so we wait and dream for you. Bless us and let your face shine upon us, more radiant than these candles and more dear than all else we seek. Restore us when we fail to refuse the evil and choose the good, and banish all our fears. We pray in the name of Emmanuel, your promised child and our savior, amen.
The first reading comes from Isaiah chapter 7. The Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. Word of God, word of life.
The second reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name including yourself, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all God's beloved in Rome, who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Word of God, word of life. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace and peace be with you, friends, as Emmanuel draws near to us. Amen.
I'm sure each of you have favorite Christmas carols, favorite Christmas hymns. Uh, I love a little town of Bethlehem, especially the final verse which says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. As I look over our text for today, I felt invitation for us to imagine, uh, to think about the place of fear in our lives, individually, collectively, uh, to think of the place uh, of fear and then how our fears, as well as our hopes, are met in the coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, or God with us. Throughout this season of Advent, we've been focusing on the book of Isaiah because we've had an assigned reading from the prophet Isaiah each of the four Sundays. So we've had a little sermon series here on Isaiah. Through the words of this, though the words of this book were written as long as 2,800 years ago, they have spoken to people down through the ages. Today we hear again the promise of God through them. Now many centuries after the time of Isaiah, if he wrote 2,800 years ago, think about 800 years into the future after that, early Christians followers of Jesus would turn to the poetry of Isaiah, especially as they sought to make sense of Jesus and his significance. We see this on display in our gospel reading for today. Matthew uses the language of Isaiah chapter 7 to make sense of Jesus' birth. The story goes, and I'm sure you know it, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You see, Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married, but then Mary became pregnant. Joseph had decided to quietly break things off, the text says, but then this angel, this messenger from the Lord, appears and pulls back the curtain on what God is doing in the moment. God is at work in the world and in the life of his betrothed. But then Matthew, after the angel's message, turns to the prophet Isaiah to make sense, to interpret what's going on here in this story. All this took place, Matthew writes, to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel which means God is with us. Now, of course, Matthew's taking a little bit of liberty here. Uh, you know, in the original Hebrew, it wasn't the word virgin, it was the word young woman. And it wasn't shall conceive, but was already pregnant. But in the history of translation here, Matthew is reading the Greek version, which used the word virgin, uh, Greek version, which used a different word. And so you can kind of see how it happened. But you can see how an ancient early Christian might have been telling the story and be like, oh wait, I remember this verse from Isaiah that kind of makes sense of this for me. This is a reference to Isaiah chapter 7, our first reading, and although it's not an exact quotation, it shaped the imagination of early Christians like Matthew. Many early Christians saw Jesus' birth as a fulfillment of the promises of Isaiah 7. At the beginning of this series, I mentioned that Isaiah's poetry has inspired so much music, especially in Advent and Christmas, but throughout the church here. Handel's Messiah, for example, quotes Isaiah more than any other book and includes a quotation from Isaiah 7. 
And in our own hymnal, if you were to pick it up and count, you know, when you have some free time, uh, you might notice that one out of every ten hymns references the images and language of Isaiah. So often we sing Isaiah more than we read him. Isaiah chapter 7 is no exception. Some beautiful pieces of music have sprung from this source. This is the chapter that gives us the beautiful language of Emmanuel, or God is with us. Think of hymns like our hymn of the day, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, coming from Isaiah. Or the final line in a little town of Bethlehem, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. It was Isaiah's visionary language that gave us such music this many years later. But another part of this series on Isaiah has been meant to challenge us, challenge us to go a little bit deeper than our usual assumptions about these texts. To think about what Isaiah was talking about in his original context and to read Isaiah with a lens of love in our multi-religious world, especially towards our Jewish neighbors who also read this book. Reading this ancient prophet often involves reading at a few different levels, allowing the text to speak to us in a few different ways. The biblical scholar Tyler Mayfield says, as I've shared before, that we need to read Isaiah with a metaphorical pair of bifocals, with our near vision allowing us to read Isaiah in the season of our Christian season of Advent, in our far vision, always keeping in mind that Isaiah was writing in a different context, and in our contemporary context, he speaks to our Jewish neighbors. So part of what I've been arguing this past month is that it's not only the loving thing to do to read Isaiah in this way, it also enriches our understanding and helps us hear God speaking to us anew. And I think this is especially true of Isaiah chapter 7. It's easy to take this rich text and then flatten it down to think that Isaiah was only speaking about Jesus 800 years before his birth. But this is a rich text. And if we read it only in that light, we miss some of the depth of what God is doing and was doing. The truth is, something else is going on in the time of Isaiah that shapes what is said here. Our reading begins at verse 10, you might notice, so you might wonder what happened in the first chunk of chapter 7, and that actually helps us get a fuller picture. And I want you to try and imagine an ancient scene with me, because we have to kind of put ourselves in the room or in the shoes of the people in the room. So picture yourself, along with me, in an ancient throne room in the northern kingdom, uh, in the southern kingdom of Judah, in Jerusalem. You can imagine yourself as a court official or perhaps as just a fly on the wall. On the seat of power, you see King Ahaz. You heard him come up in the reading. He's the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And I mentioned at the beginning that this is a, is a story about fear. And I want you to listen for the way fear plays out in this story. As you look at Ahaz, you get the sense that he's worried. He's afraid. And he sh maybe he should be. This is a particularly scary time in his reign. There are two kings on the northern border who want him to do something, so they're plotting to attack his city, Jerusalem. And looking at the numbers, looking at what he has, what they have, he's not so sure they can win. And so he's starting to think, well, maybe I need to go find someone who's bigger and badder than them to be an ally with me 
and uh, that's where he starts to get, to get into trouble. So if you're still a fly on the wall, you see uh, perhaps a dignified-looking man approach the throne. You see Isaiah, the author of this book, was a courtly prophet. He was someone who had the ear of the king. You know, so many other biblical prophets were living on the edges, on the fringes of society, but from what we know of Isaiah, he was someone who had access to powerful people. In the end, the powerful, of course, didn't listen to him very often, but he was granted a hearing frequently. And in this case, you see this dignified man approach this king on the throne to reassure him, to give him courage. And he gives two speeches to King Ahaz. Our reading for today is only the second one, but the message of both speeches seems to be, don't be afraid of these invaders. Don't go looking for your help from Assyria or anyone else. God is with you. That is the source of your courage in this moment. So if you and I were flies on the wall, you'd hear Isaiah telling the king to ask for a sign to give him courage. But the king won't even do that. The king's not going to trust in God here. The, God, the king is going to turn to some other help. So the prophet says, God is going to give you a sign whether you like it or not. In Isaiah's words, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Even if you don't ask for a sign, God is going to give you one anyways. And Isaiah says, look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son. Now, Christians have often thought that Isaiah was talking about Mary 800 years later, but the sense of what's said here is, look, look at someone in the room. Like, Isaiah is pointing at someone and saying, look, here's a young woman who is pregnant, clearly pregnant, and she's going to bear a son. I imagine that if we were in the throne room, we would see Isaiah pointing, and our Jewish neighbors often interpret this as the young woman being one of the king's wives who would give birth to Hezekiah. But commentator Rachel Wren puts it this way. She imagines in the throne room with us, look, you feckless king, if you can't hear my message of reassurance, then maybe you can see it. This child who's going to be born soon is named God is with you. You know, you know there's a sign. And by the time this kid is two years old, which is about the time these people believed uh, they would know good or evil, these two fly kings who are buzzing around your head will be swatted away. In other words, if you're looking for courage, if you're looking for hope, look no further than the child who is about to be born. And by the time this child is two, you're not going to be worried about these things. Isn't that often the truth of our fears? That's something we worry about and worry about. You look back at it two years later, you're like, why was I so worried about that? The message, Ahaz, the message to Ahaz seems to be, do not be afraid. Put your trust in me, God says. God seems to plead. But if you read on in the book, you'll see that Ahaz didn't listen to Isaiah. The king could not or would not take up God's invitation to trust, and the result was a disaster. The thing is, we often don't make our best decisions when we're afraid, right? This happens on smaller levels when we're uh, afraid of someone we don't know, and so we don't extend hospitality or generosity. This happens when we're afraid of you know, putting ourselves out there, of, of embarrassing ourselves. Those things hold ourselves back. It's true at the level of kings and rulers, too. Uh, I'm struck by the ways that in history, fear leads to such disaster. 
Perhaps you know the story of how uh, the Nazis came to power in Germany, where in 1933 there was a building housing the German parliament, the Reichstag, and it started on fire. Someone lit it on fire. And no one really knows who lit it on fire, but it was a moment of fear that some bad actors took as an opportunity. A rising political figure named Adolf Hitler said of the fire, this fire is just the beginning, almost giddy with excitement of what could happen now. We see it again and again. In 2002, there was a terrorist attack in Russia, and in that moment of great fear, a leader named Putin would use the people's fear as an opportunity to take over private television stations. Fear, both on small and big levels, shrinks our visions and leads us down paths that we would usually try to avoid. Now, fear can be a useful emotion in the right circumstances, but I believe what God invites us to do is to expand our field of courage, to expand our range of courage based on our trust in God. If God is with us, as the name Emmanuel says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Maybe we can sense that in that gift of God's accompaniment, in God's presence with us, we feel that we can live with more courage. So as you approach Christmas this year, I invite you to listen for that voice of courage welling up inside of you. I don't know what it is, the fear that you bring with you to this season, whether that's on a small or big level. But if you can hear that God is with you, and if your courage can expand even a little bit more on that basis, then the words of Isaiah will have echoed again in our time. Because God's message through Isaiah did not go unheard in the long run. Indeed, it echoed through the centuries until Matthew recorded the same invitation to trust, issued this time to Joseph. Joseph was afraid what it might mean, but it was accepted by him. More importantly, that same invitation was issued to Mary when the angel Gabriel, Gabriel came to her. And there, Gabriel said, not only do not be afraid, but he took and intensified the Emmanuel promise of Isaiah with the intimate proclamation, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. So alongside all of these fearful characters, we hear God's promise to not be afraid, to be with us today. Doesn't it make all the difference to have someone alongside you as you walk down a darkened path? Thanks be to God for the child who was born to Mary and that this child would be Emmanuel, God with us, walking alongside us in the darkest of valleys. That we can find the gift of faith from God and in it find it the gift of courage. That like Ahaz, unlike Ahaz, we can hear God's promise to be with us and find the courage for each day. That like Mary and Joseph, we can hear the messenger saying, do not be afraid and respond with grace and respond with courage. May God be with us and may all of our hopes and fears be met in the Christ child, Emmanuel. Amen.
Christmas prepare for the fullness of Christ's presence, let us pray for a world that yearns for new hope. God, our shepherd, let your spirit move with power throughout the church. Give discernment and wisdom to our bishops, pastors, deacons, and lay leaders. Take away our fear so that we serve and love, confident that you are guiding us. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, our source, awaken us to the beauty of the earth and the marvelous variety of life. Unite humankind in repairing and caring for your creation. Protect creatures and habitats in peril due to rising seas and warming temperatures. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, our vision, raise up leaders in every nation who dream of freedom and justice for all people. We pray for the work of international organizations that promote peace and human rights, especially Amnesty International. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, our helper, come to the aid of all who cry out to you. Shelter migrants, refugees, and those fleeing war and famine. Bring relief to individuals and families experiencing hunger, homelessness, or impoverishment. Comfort any who are isolated or lonely. God, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God, our Emmanuel, you are with us in our life together. We give you thanks for gathering us in worship and fellowship, and remember those who cannot be present. Watch over those who travel. Heal the sick and speed their recovery, especially Roe, Jane, Doris, Joanne, Sharon, Jim, Rodrigo, and those we name now aloud or in our hearts. God in our mercy. Hear our prayer. God, our hope, you bring life out of death, and you promise to be our God forever. Shine upon the faithful who now rest in the fulfillment of your promise, and bring us also into your blessed reign of peace. God in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God of our longing, you know our deepest needs. By your spirit, gather our prayers and join them with the prayers of all your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Please take a moment to share a sign of peace with those around you. Peace with you.
please stand as you are able. Let us pray. Eternal God, you make the desert bloom and send springs of water to thirsty ground. Receive these simple gifts of bread, wine, and money, and make us messengers of your mercy and love for all in need of your healing and justice. We ask this through Christ our Savior. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, almighty and merciful God, through our Savior, Jesus Christ. You comforted your people with the promise of the Redeemer, through whom, through whom you will also make all things new, in the day when he comes to judge the world in righteousness. And so, with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy God, the beginning and the end, our salvation and our hope, we praise you for creating a world of order and beauty. When we brought on chaos, cruelty, and despair, you sent the prophets to proclaim your justice and mercy. At this end of the ages, your son Jesus came to bring us your love and to heal all the suffering world. The night in which was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. It's my body, given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Remembering, therefore, his life, death, and resurrection, we await his coming again in righteousness and peace. Send your spirit on us and on this bread and wine we share. Strengthen our faith, increase our hope, and bring to birth the justice and joy of your Son. Through him all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, both now and forever. Gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus taught his friends to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Please be seated while we share some instructions for communion. To commune today, you're invited to go to the side aisle where you'll come forward. And at the front, there are these two side tables uh, where there are empty cups. You'll grab an empty cup and bring it with you to the railing where it will be filled with wine and where you will receive bread. If you need or desire grape juice or gluten-free, those are also at these two side tables. Just grab them on your way forward and bring them to the railing. After you've communed at the railing, you'll return down the center aisle and place your empty cup in the bowl here by the center aisle. We want all friends, guests, and visitors to know that all are welcome to commune with us today because this is the Lord's table, not Trinity Lutheran's table. And the invitation comes from Christ. We extend our communion and our fellowship to those joining us online. We're very glad you are with us and uh, are happy to be gathering with you around the presence of Christ this morning. Receive this invitation to communion. Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God who has come to save you.
stand as you are able. May the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen, keep, and unite us now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Faithful God, in this meal you have remembered your mercy, bringing heaven to earth in the body and blood of Christ. As we wait for the day when all your promises will be fulfilled, sustain us and strengthen us by this holy mystery. Guide us toward your promised future, coming to birth in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord.
one more reminder to join us downstairs for tamale making or tamale eating, whichever you prefer, uh, and to write some Christmas cards. And if you do come down, be sure to thank uh, especially Leticia and Eric for all their work. I, I, from what I understand of making tamales, which is not much, it, it does seem like an intensive thing. So we're very grateful that we have someone who knows what they're doing with, uh, with Leticia here today. <laughs> so let's, let's thank them when we see them downstairs. Receive this blessing. God, the eternal word who dwells with us in Jesus, who holds us in the grace of the Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. The mission of Trinity Lutheran Church is to proclaim and celebrate the love of Jesus Christ, to live as God's servants in the world, and to be a caring and healing community. Go in peace. Christ is near. Thanks be to God.